Hello, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back again for another episode of the History Comics Podcast, this time with the life of J. Paul Jackson. Comic strips and books, like all other mediums, have long been an avenue of criticism and satire, and for black comic artists, it was a chance to address racism. An early example was J. Paul Jackson, who used his talents to comment on racism while depicting black people in a light not common at the time. He was a superb talent who, di- who sadly died at a too young of an age, but during his time delivered some significant work for any artist, no matter his race. J. Paul Jackson was born on September 10, 1905 in Oberlin, Ohio. It was an integrated uh, town with a history as being part of the Underground Railroad, including a notable incident where the townspeople rescued an escaped slave from custody and helped smuggle him to Canada. Thanks to this welcoming history in Oberlin, Jay's father, Frank Jackson, was able to secure a job as a gallery photographer, providing a relatively prosperous life for his family. This didn't help young Jay avoid labor himself, as at the age of 13, he was working in the railroad driving spikes near Columbus, Ohio, and later moved to Pittsburgh to work in a steel mill. He attended Ohio Wesleyan University for one year in Delaware, Ohio, while also driving a mail truck and even finding time for a brief and unsuccessful career as a boxer. Jackson later married Ida Linesmith, his college sweetheart, on July 14, 1925. J. Paul Jackson started out as a successful business as a sign painter, along with becoming a featured artist for the Pittsburgh Courier, until he suffered from lead poisoning from the paint he used. This led to Jackson to move his family to Chicago, Illinois, to paint posters for the Warner Brothers theater chain. However, tragedy would strike around this time when his wife, his father, and his first child would all die before Jackson was just 22 years old, leaving him to raise his infant daughter, Carrie Lou, alone. Even worse, Jackson lost his job in 1933 when the Great Depression set in, forcing him to give up his classy apartment in Brownsville to move to South Side of Chicago in the First Class Southway Hotel. Despite these hardships, Jackson continued to pursue his artistic career, getting a temporary job painting murals for the old Mexico exhibit at the center of a Progress International Exposition, while also submitting drawings to Abbott's Monthly, which he had been doing back since the 1920s, a high-class black magazine published by Robert S. Abbott, who also owned the Chicago Defender. This eventually got Jackson a job for nearly 20 years on the Chicago Defender, and even put him in charge of the cartoon section in 1934. His personal life picked up as well, as he met Eleanor Poston at the paper, who was a secretary in the circulation department. Despite Jackson teasing Poston for her hazy upbringing in Nebraska, a romantic relationship grew, leading to marriage on September 7, 1935. At the Chicago Defender, Jackson would take over the Bungleton Green Strip from Henry Brown in 1935 and by all accounts made an immediate improvement turning a visually dull strip into a witty one with barbed commentary. That same year, Jackson created Tisha Mango for the New York Amsterdam News about a young black woman living in New York City and trying to make it as an actress. Her dreams didn't always come true, and often Tisha would find herself working odd jobs just to make ends meet, such as a made-to-a-vain white movie star. While mostly a text story accompanied by illustrations, it was edgy for its time when many of Jackson's illustrations showing Tisha Mango semi-nude. However, it ended after three years, eventually evolving into a standard, non-controversial strip. In addition to these strips, Jackson also worked on The Adventures of Bill, As Others See Us, Expedition Follies, Cinda, Speed Jackson, Skin Deep, and Society Sue for the Chicago Defender and other black newspapers, virtually dominating him with his work. 
This led to Jackson to win two front-page awards from the American Newspaper Guild, one for his skewering of the House of Un-American Activities Committee for its attack on Hollywood, as Jackson Comics were known for its batting satire against racists and red baiters. While his star was rising in black media, Jackson made a move into white media as well. He sold illustrations to pulps like Ziff Davis's Amazing Stories, starting with his three stories in July of 1938 issue. Jackson's art was criticized at first, but soon would be known for his pulpy anatomy, receiving much acclaim. He would eventually illustrate nearly 40 issues of Amazing and his companion magazine, Fantastic Adventures, over the next four years, and this work in Pulse led to his one and only comic book assignment. Jackson's work is believed to be the first used regularly from a black artist in the pulp area, and he became so successful he was featured in the Introducing the Offer segment of the magazine that not only gave his biography, but provided a photo of Jay Jackson, affirming the reader that yes, he was a black man. While Jackson was a successful comic strip artist at this point, his one comic book work was Colossal Comics No. 1 from, for Sun Publications on March of 1940, where he previously worked on the Golden Fleece on October of 1938. In this comic book, Jackson did Blonde Garf, King of the Isles, with writer Raymond Mellon, which was an anagram for Norman Maldol, a classic technique during the Golden Age so the comic book staffs could look much bigger. The story was an adventure strip that was a mashup of Moses and Tarzan, as Garf was discovered as a baby clinging to a water cask after a shipwreck. Raised by a medicine man from a black tribe, Garf naturally grew to be bigger and stronger than all of them, taking on an evil priestess, killing a shark, and settling down with the princess. The nine-page story was well-received and showed that Jay Jackson could have made it as a comic book artist if he wanted to. However, it required the move to New York City in those times, something that Jackson wasn't willing to do, thus Colossus Comics would be his only comic book work of his career. Staying in Chicago, Jackson continued to provide illustrations for pulp magazines, along with continuing both in green for the Chicago Defender, which he decided to transform into a science fiction strip and the title character Green into a superhero. Jackson did this based on his work in science fiction magazines, realizing that the genre allowed a way to criticize contemporary times with a story in another time and place, similar to how Star Trek and the Twilight Zone would also do years later. In the strip, Bung is killed and then revived and rebuilt and sent back in time to 1778, where he examines the United States' shameful history of slavery. Then Bung transports to 2043 in Memphis, Tennessee, discovering that blacks and whites now live in a colorblind utopia. He may have needed to travel a little bit further. However, a new continent had risen populated by green-skinned people who treat white people, which they call chalkies, like Jackson's fellow black people were treated in 1940s America. This was, of course, a nice biting commentary using science fiction to make a commentary of racism of the times. However, all this would be erased in 1947 when Jackson left the strip and with the later uh, writers and artists claiming it was all a dream. In addition to this work, though, Jackson started doing So What, an editorial cartoon about black America and Billy Ken, a mischievous kid strip, along with Cream Puff, a boxing strip inspired by Jackson's own uh, failed boxing career. Reading like a more realistic black version of Joe Palooka. Jackson would also produce posters for the U.S. Treasury Department during World War II to sell bonds. Next, Jackson produced a strip, The Ravings of Professor Doodle, a two-panel strip about a commodity old man. On October 16, 1948, Jackson did Glamour Town, a premier magazine of Defender magazine section about Hollywood, California, complete with a cover by Jackson of a black bathing beauty. 
This prompted his move to the West Coast in 1949, and Glamour Town's acerbic commentary showed that the Midwestern Jackson had a bit of a time adjusting to living in Los Angeles. He would live and work in Los Angeles for the rest of his life, except for a few trips to Mexico to paint murals. In 1950, Jackson did the Who's Who's of Colored America with a two-page montage and later did illustrations for Who's Who in the United Nations. In 1951, Jackson joined the staff of the California Eagle where he did Girly Gags, a single-panel strip about a young black woman, and Home Folks, a large panel cartoon about a suburban black family. Both strips ran to the Defender after they were repurposed in 1954. Jackson later worked at Telecomics, an animation company that developed a method of turning comic strips into cartoons for television. There, he produced a 13-part film, The Search for Christ, that debuted in the late 1952. In addition, he did Glamour Girls postcards for postcard publisher Color Picture of Boston. On May 15, 1954, J. Paul Jackson suffered a heart attack, dying the next morning at the age of 49. He left behind a number of girly gags and home folk strips, which, which his widow had the Defender republish a year after his death, along with being syndicated to other black newspapers. It is a pity that Jackson died so young, as his talent was still emerging and one could only wonder how much farther he could have gone. Despite the racism of his times, Jackson managed to make great inroads in the comic books and pulp illustrations, and his legacy as one of the first black artists to do so remains significant to this day. I would like to thank the chief source for this episode, Invisible Men, the trailblazing black artist of comic books by Ken Quattro, which features a great biography of J. Paul Jackson and numerous other black comic book artists a must-own for any comic book fan. Great things are coming on the Nerd Bliss Podcast. We're changing up our presentation while keeping the candidness that you enjoy. We'll cover all your favorite shows and movies with maybe a few surprises along the way. And you, yes you, will have opportunities to be on our show on a regular basis. That's right, you've got the Zoom Pro account and we're going to use it. So be ready. Find us at nerdblisspodcast.com and esonetwork.com and on all the socials at nerdblisspod. Nerdbliss, listen up. And now it is April 22nd, 2021, time for the favorite comp of the week. Way of X, number one, by Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn, which uh, finds uh, Nightcrawler exploring the more moral quandaries of the new life for the X-Men on Kratoa, specifically the part where apparently they can die and be resurrected almost instantaneously, which for uh, Nightcrawler, a practicing Catholic, uh, well, makes him ask a lot of questions about whether this is moral or not. Cy Spurrier really does a good job really exploring the morality of this whole new uh, world of the X-Men, like, like I said before, the fact they can die and it's taste. And so it's almost a commentary on a larger uh, aspect of how characters in comic books tend to die and come back to life. And they go like, well, what's, uh, what does it mean if you can, how, how does death have meaning if you can just come back to life in a few days or something like that? So that's a very interesting aspect to it, and uh, it makes for also a great jumping off port because uh, John Hickman has done a great job, of, like completely reimagining the X Men with his whole Kratos living on Kratos and so forth. But it's a little hard to jump into. This one does a nice job of easing you in with some familiar characters, some new ones, and also he doesn't really play off that death motif. What happens to Pixie, one of the younger X Men characters, is downright chilling, and it's matched great by Bob Quinn's pencils, which look gorgeous. A great depiction of the world in general, and a great depiction of Nightcrawler, who's 
Honestly, one of the great uh, X-Men characters, just the great moral center and so forth. As a, personally, as a man of faith myself, I like seeing a, a ca- I like seeing a Catholic, anyone else who uh, whose faith is tested and is still stay strong with it. So yeah, Way of X number one. Definitely check it out if you're a fan of the X-Men. It's a great comic book in general. And with that, uh, we conclude this uh, biography of J. Paul Jackson. Join me again next week. We do another biography of uh, one of the great uh, black artists of the Golden Age. And until then, go out and enjoy yourself a good comic book. <laughs>